Hey, I'm Sean. And I'm Jesse. And, and we're, we're the, the DMs, DMs of, of Vancouver. Vancouver. We're two newish DMs who are still getting the hang of the whole DM thing. So we sit down with a friend every couple of weeks and pick their brain on their approach to DMing. So come along as we figure out how to help our players have the best time possible at the gaming table. Today's episode is brought to you by Adventure Dice. Adventure Dice is an online dice shop based here in Vancouver, selling a variety of dice and other gaming accessories. Personally, I'm a big fan of their rolling trays and the Grounded Pixie Dice Set. Adventure Dice ships for free anywhere in Canada, and if you use the code DMV at checkout, you can get a 10% discount on your purchase. That's DMV for a nice discount on your new tabletop gear. Find the shop at adventuredice.ca and roll for adventure! Hey folks, welcome to another episode of DMs of Vancouver. Today we're talking about paid DMing. Today we're joined by Craig Chapman. How's it going, Craig? I'm wonderful. Hope you guys are too. And we're also joined by Remy. How's it going, Remy? Spectacular. Thank you guys so much for having me on the show. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Um, so uh, before we get into it, Craig, where might people know you from? Well, most likely they would know me from Dungeons and Do-Gooders. I run a enormous West Marches campaign based out of, unsurprisingly, Vancouver. And I do a bunch of private contracts and other things on the side. I've been on the show a couple of times before as well. So, you know, D&D things is where people will, will know me from most oh. of the time. All right. And <laughs> Remy, where would folks know you from? If they know me, they would have found me on my uh, podcast, Magnificent Whiskers, or on my solo venture, Remy Trails. All right. Okay. Um, so let's get into it. Um, so I guess background for the listeners, Remy is interested in starting some paid DMing work. So we thought it would be good to have him come on and talk with us to Craig about it. Um, so Remy, do you have a, a first question for Craig? Oh, absolutely. Um, I think the way that I worded it when I when I started writing the questions down, the very first question was literally just how. Uh, how, how did you get into it? What brought you to the to a place where you felt like uh, becoming professional or paid to DM was um, viable for you? I will try and keep my answers uh, as as short and sweet as possible because basically, you know, it's, <laughs> it's my life story. Uh, <laughs> but in terms of how, uh, what worked out was that I really enjoyed D&D, and I really enjoyed DMing. And I had a lot of friends who really enjoyed my DMing. So I started running a game, uh, and specifically, West Marches made it possible. Uh, there is a West Marches episode on this very podcast, so I won't belabor you all with the details. Go listen to it. It is excellent. As a matter of fact, uh, I didn't know it was called West Marches until I heard the episode on this podcast, and that gave me a lot of clues. But West <laughs> Marches, uh, as a system, very, very simply to explain this for you, Remy, is uh, basically it involves having, you know, dozens of people playing D&D in the same world. And uh, it allows you to leave a lot of the organizational efforts to the players. So I started that system because I had more people that wanted to play than I could possibly DM for on a week-to-week basis. And, um, you know, I don't know how much DMing you've done, but uh, one thing remains true for me after two years of doing this for money, and God, so many years of doing it for free, uh, people will take as much D&D as you give them. <laughs> so when I was like, hey, organize games... Yeah, or organize games and I'll run them. Uh, man, they started organizing games and they just didn't stop. And they were like, hey, I, I have friends who want to play in your games. Can can I invite them to the group? And I said, uh, sure, yeah, why not? Uh, started doing that and it just really never stopped growing. It hit a couple of plateaus and then spiked again. Hit a couple of plateaus, spiked again. But basically I went from running for about a dozen people doing this sort of drop-in style D&D to now having five, yeah, five DMs working for me, running games around Vancouver and the surrounding environs, uh, doing about 10 to 11 games a week. Not personally just me, but uh, spread out across all five of us. So there's definitely there's definitely enough people out there who want to play that finding... Oh yeah, yeah. Sorry, Remy, you were about to say something? No, I was just saying that I think it's incredible that you have five people that are teamed up with you, that you're able to kind of uh, delegate and outsource some because of how much of a response that you've gotten, uh, that you've been able to actually not only do it yourself, but employ multiple other people. That's incredible. Yeah, no, I'm I'm definitely really, really lucky to not only have 
such a large number of people interested in playing, but also a number of excellent DMs and resources that I can draw on. Uh, I've pulled on some friends that I had that got me into D&D, some friends that have DM'd for me in the past, and, you know, more recently I've started moving more into the public sphere and bringing on other DMs that I've met either while running events or through one of the many, many local DM networks in Vancouver, because there are at least two or three <laughs> that I know of. And one of them I, I just want to plug. Uh, I think YVR DMs is the specific group, is absolutely fantastic for that and has helped me a lot in finding local DMs for my games. We had Montana on a little while back. Mm -hmm. like a, oh, God, like over a year ago now to talk about that <laughs> as he was kind of starting it up. <laughs> a little yeah. while back, yeah. Yeah, it's amazing how the time flies. So is most of the work that you're doing at in-person games, are you doing anything online at all? I would love to say that I am. Uh, I, I <laughs> predominantly run in-person games. I am not doing anything online at the moment. I do plan to branch out in that direction, but the reality is, is uh, you know, I, I'm one guy, and while I have a number of astounding DMs tackling all of the actual DMing work for me, and, and even like a little bit of the behind-the-scenes stuff, for the most part, administratively, I'm organizing everything. So every expansion of the, the group um, is something I have to tackle myself. So thus far, I haven't gone online, not with games at the very least. We do have a Discord, a community Discord, where we, you know, chat about everything under the sun from DMing tips to uh, how the latest games have gone to homebrew and character builds and all sorts of stuff. But that's about as online as we are right now. Have you, is there, like, because I've done a little bit of online DMing just for my, my own group. And one of the things that I found is that um, maybe it's because I've played so many computer games that I feel like when I'm playing on a screen, I feel like as a DM, I have to provide almost a video game experience. Like I have to have lots of nice drawings or whatever for the characters. I have to find nice maps. It felt like I was putting in a lot more work than when I was playing around a table. Um, is that a concern for you, especially as a paid DM wanting to provide a certain level of service? Not especially, because I do a lot of those things already. Uh, I try to, I mean, like the way I see it, Everybody observes and learns differently. Um, so some people really, really appreciate having visual aids. So, you know, I'll, I'll almost always, especially for plot-significant NPCs or for NPCs that become plot-significant because the PCs won't stop following them around, uh, I'll, <laughs> I'll find character portrait art somewhere online. Um, and, you know, I, I do... One, like, one of the luxuries of getting paid to do it is, you know, I, I do a lot of extensive work outside of the scenes like i've built god so many maps so so many maps and and fortunately i can reuse uh, a lot of like the world maps and the region maps and what have you but um i provide maps because people even if i'm not like even if i'm doing theater of the mind it, it usually helps people a lot to have some especially if they're traveling somewhere physical representation of where they are um, I don't really know that it would be a major issue for me to port those resources online because most of them are already digital. I can run pretty much everything uh, off of my Chromebook. That is this basically like 90% of my equipment right there. I guess that's the, bo the, the bonus of doing a West Marches style game where you have one set of resources you can use for any group that comes in versus, you know, a DM running for just their own group where these resources are very much bespoke for that game. Mm-hmm. That's uh, totally true, but at the very least, um, one of the other things I can do is, you know, I'm sure everybody who's DM'd is familiar with the concept of building something and having the players skip right on past it, and if I, oh, yeah. you know, when, when I run, yeah, when I run my private games, um, they usually take place in the same world, and what that means is if one group skips right on past the tomb of, you know, whoever, some lich or paladin of days gone by or some ancient elvish burial grounds or, or whatever right uh then the next group that comes in can experience that content or you know if, if people really really enjoy it um sometimes i'll hack it and just run it a second time especially if there's like a time difference between groups in terms of when they're exploring the world so i think That's... the main question i have for you craig uh, kind of about this whole thing is like uh, i sometimes see discussions online about paid dming and some people like kind of wave it off as that's that's ridiculous which is silly because uh you were telling me on the way over here how much work you do <laughs> how much work is it a lot of the time <laughs> for you okay i don't want to turn anybody off of paid dming i think it's a wonderful thing to get into um but i ran 273 games of DD &D last year that i counted um i i suspect it might have been a few more than that 
and each of those games represents about mm, six or seven hours of, of uh, content. And a lot of the time it was multiple games in the same day. So, you know, even just literally yesterday, I ran two contracts on the same day and I was up from like 8 a.m. to midnight. Uh, 14 to 16 hour days while this is all getting started are pretty much the norm. And I frequently work 60 to 80 hour weeks, which, you know what, like, to be fair, a lot of people work and don't get to do what they love. So I'm pretty okay with it. But it is an incredible amount of work. Part of that is just the nature of setting up a business. But a lot of that is also trying to run a D&D community for hundreds of people, as well as multiple campaigns on the side and one-off contracts and juggling all of the communal, or, or communal rather, aspect of that many people. So a, a lot of work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, of course it is. Like you said, you're running your own business and uh, anytime that that comes into play, even if it's something like D&D or something that you enjoy, art, music, whatever, you always end up finding yourself spending a, an egregious amount of time. But just speaking from my own personal experience as a dungeon master, um, which you did ask a little bit earlier, so I thought I would just try to find a place to fit this in. So I've been DMing for as long as I've been playing Dungeons & Dragons, so we're talking upwards of 13-ish uh, years or so. Um, so I have a little bit of experience, uh, but I, it always feels like I wish I had more time. Um and I'm doing it for free for my friends every once in a while, you know? Uh, I, I did have another question for you, which was, you know, it sounds like you you really know what you're talking about. And it sounds like you um, are extremely steeped in the community in your local area as well. Uh, had you considered ever putting together like a masterclass to teach any of us who who want to <laughs> who want to dive into this thing? Uh, you know, the the steps and the do's and don'ts? Yeah. Uh, you, you know, you are not the first person to ask me about a DMing guide. I definitely think that it's something that I want to do. The struggle, uh, partially, is just in trying to determine what priorities I have. You know, do I focus on uh, private contracts first? Do I focus on DMing in schools? Because I, I really do enjoy running D&D for kids and bringing them into the hobby. Um, do I focus on my drop-in games? Everything takes time. Uh, putting together some sort of class for DMing has always been on that priority list. It's just never been, you know, top the two top. or three. Yeah. But uh, I, I do want to do it because I do think that as, as difficult as it is for me personally to rationalize sometimes that people actually like my stuff, not only enough to pay me for it, but enough to want me to teach it. Uh, I accept that that is the case. And I... Uh, I do think that I've learned quite a lot of valuable lessons running just as much D&D as I have. Uh, there's a lot of pitfalls that are not immediately obvious, both professionally as well as just, you know, even just as a hobby. Like, even if you just wanted to, to learn more about DMing, there's a lot of things that you just don't realize until you've run hundreds of games. Are there any particular faux pas that somebody who's attempting to enter the world might want to avoid like anything that you might not think of top of mind but that you've experienced over the breadth of time that you've been doing this that are just absolute like hard lines stop sign don't do this thing yeah there, there's actually a few uh one of the ones that comes to mind right away is when i first got started out in paid dming i approached it professionally because i figured you know what if people are paying me to dm for them they probably want a really professional experience they want somebody who's going to come in who's going to make an awesome in encounter dungeon adventure campaign whatever the topic might be for them and then play through that but that could not have been further from the truth and uh it turns out that what people want is somebody to shoot the shit with and just talk with and pal around with and laugh with you know like it's a lot more equivalent to being a server or some sort of service staff than it is to being um uh, you know a professional you're there as an entertainer but you're also there uh it's almost similar to like bartending or something like that you're there to listen to people and to help them through uh, whatever it is that they're doing. Um, I don't think that what I do is therapy. <laughs> I, I know that D&D has been used for it, but yes. certainly there is an element of, of that in the work. Uh, really, it, it boils down to, uh, at least in terms of the, the first faux pas, be there as not only an entertainer, but as a friend to, to the people that you're DMing for. Which, of course, means that you have to really be able to get along with people because I DM for, God, like everybody under the sun in terms of uh, people's backgrounds and stories in life. And uh, 
if anything, I think that that enhances the game, having that many different stories to pull from. And it certainly means that I experience a lot less burnout than some people might suspect. So your methodology for avoiding burnout, I mean, because you just described 60 to 80 hour work weeks, I can imagine that would get, even if you are doing the thing that you love, that could get exhausting very quickly. And you're attributing you avoiding some of that to the relationships that you're building with your clients. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I mean, so D&D was my hobby before it became my job. Mm -hmm. And uh, a lot of people will say, don't turn your hobbies into jobs because it, oh, yeah. it's tough, right? Like you, you turn your network of friends into people that are clients. Uh, and th that's not an easy thing to do because it means that the relationship between you and those people when you're behind the screen changes dramatically. And honestly, that that alone, that fact alone, might have been the hardest thing that I had to tackle in the first year. Just like re remembering to take time for myself to recharge and refresh amidst trying to <laughs> treat everybody who, you know, still was in a lot of cases my friends uh, into also paid clients. But yeah, um, keeping a good relationship with those people, even if you treat them a little bit more professionally and with a little bit more, um, I guess, like sort of dictatorial power <laughs> than you would friends normally. <laughs> uh, treating, you know, being able to maintain the friendships and the connections in spite of those things is important. Are you finding that you're running into a lot of resistance similar to what I'm sure we're all familiar with in the um, kind of artistic community where people would prefer to pay you in exposure? than actually pay you? Like, are you running, have you run into any issues along those lines? You know, remarkably, no. Um, I, I keep expecting oh. it. I keep expecting somebody to be like, hey, I'll pay you in like uh, followers on Instagram. But like, I think part of that is that I have like virtually no social media presence. I have always hated trying to make social media work for me. I'm sure that if this continues, I'll probably have to pay somebody to do it because I am not going to. I've tried to Twitter like, even the way I just said that, like I've tried, to, I've tried to use Twitter. Like I feel like I'm like thirty. No, no, that actually is that's an okay way to put it. Yeah. Is I've tried to Twitter. Lots of yeah. people do that. And I'll I'm, tell you what, Craig, uh, we'll trade information uh, when we're off the show, and you, you and I can have a conversation about that. We'll sidebar. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm always happy to talk to people. I just prefer more like small group or one-on-one -on -one discussions, even like in this type of setting, uh, rather than social media. Because social media to me has always kind of just felt like artificially trying to develop a following. Uh, one of the advantages sure. that I've had, I think, getting into paid DMing, uh, it's not really a faux pas, but rather something that I would just suggest people keep in mind, is um, grassroots communities are almost always stronger than like artificial communities that are drawn together. And, you know, there, there is a lot to be said for the sense of community that you can share digitally and online. But there's also a great deal to be said for, like, being able to sit down face-to-face -face with people and uh, knowing the people who are paying you to DM and having connections in common with them. You know, like, I, I have yet to get to the point where a complete stranger has reached out to me to uh, DM a game for them in every case that i've dm'd a contract whether it be one shot campaign or drop in uh it's always been at least one shared point of connection like one person in common with this other person before that contract was put together so in six degrees to kevin bacon you're still only barely one out yes yes i am <laughs> so something that i'm curious about really quickly is um been talking about you know, like you're running a business and talking about like needing to maybe hire a social media person. Mm -hmm. Are there, have there been any other people that you're like, oh, I need to hire somebody to do this? Like not just more DMs to help you handle more people, but like a business manager, yeah. accountants, like the business side of doing uh -huh. this as a business. I suspect it will be in this upcoming year, uh, largely more of an issue. Um, last year I was still getting my feet under me and still just getting all of this sorted out. And I, Honestly, I had I had zero clue. I'd never expected to be running a business in my life. It was never in my life goals. So I, I just didn't have the skill set. Um, I struggled through last year. This year, I'm trying to approach a bit more proactively. So I expect I'll be hiring more people on the administrative side of things. I have uh, very recently brought on my first, I guess, like, yeah, part-time, my first part-time employee to handle um, a lot of writing. So I do downtime as a very, very large part of my drop-in games. And uh, for about six months, like, I just, I couldn't. I was working 60 to 80 hours, and I, I was trying to add downtime to that, trying to add the hours and hours of writing that it would take. But um, I brought somebody on to handle it, and in 
the past month alone, he's done, God, um, I want to say probably 30 or 40 hours of work. And I just, I can't conceive of a way that I could have fit that into my schedule. So uh, I, I do want to bring on people to handle these extra tasks for me to make my life a little bit easier, to handle the business a little bit better. But I don't want to um, necessarily bring people on just because it's recommended uh, until I'm actually at a point where I need, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, that kind of ran into one of the questions I wanted to ask, which was, you know, if you 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 were able to recognize your strengths and weaknesses pretty early in, it sounds like. So you're not against outsourcing for things like map building or, as you've just described, uh, bringing somebody on to do writing for those downtime periods of the game. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I mean, at the end of the day, I still really enjoy a lot of these things. And on and on, what I'm realizing is that as the business grows, I'm going to have to step away from actively DMing, which is a, a, a bit bittersweet because it means that, you know, the business will have succeeded and I'll have ultimately at the end of the day, by doing so, brought more people into D&D, which was always my goal. But DMing less was not one of my goals. <laughs> so it's, uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm hoping that I can maintain at least some of that background stuff, like the map making, uh, item generation, all these things. But I'm also very, very happy to give other people those opportunities to work creatively because if there's one thing that i've really loved over the past year it's been seeing other artists get the opportunity to make money because of something i started yeah that's beautiful i think that's something that i've i've seen a couple of times now on various social media people saying like man if i ever got rich all i'd do is support all my friends on patreon (laughs) (laughs) same yeah, no, absolutely. Honestly, like it's it's so true. Like being able to give people the opportunity for regular creative work um is is just it's so friggin' cool. Like I I cannot explain how much I I love seeing character art, uh seeing oh god, uh like voice recording, seeing writing, seeing um, people making memes about stuff that's happened in my universe. Like, that was the quintessential thing. I was like, you know, like, I'm not sure how I feel about this. And then it kept happening, and I'm like, no, I'm happy with it. I'm I'm cool with this. I'm I'm totally happy having, like, memes made of my campaigns. That's, that's awesome. Um, that was like, oh, man, that was such a surreal feeling. Um, but, yeah, no. Uh, <laughs> to get back to the, the point of the question... Um, I try to do as much as possible myself without overburdening myself because um, I strongly believe that when you're running something, no matter what it is, it's important to keep yourself connected to uh, the ground floor, you know, to make sure that you know how things are operating on the base level, even if that means that sometimes you wind up doing like really monotonous work. Like I print out item cards for all my adventures and cut them out and laminate them. Does it take me like multiple hours a week? Yeah. Are there things that that time would probably be more efficiently spent on? Possibly. But does it mean that I remember that a large part of the work is monotonous and not necessarily fun, but still really important? Sure. And that keeps me grounded as far as, you know, the way I treat um, my DMs and the way I talk to people that, that help me. It's, uh, I don't know, it's just, I find it important to keep doing some of the, the baseline work too even moving forward uh, with bringing people on. Hey, how do you, how do you check the type of the experience that you're providing? So do you um, kind of hand out surveys at the end and ask for like a, a one out of five or a, <laughs> a one to five star rating or, or how do you check in with them to, with your clients to make sure that they're getting the experience they're looking for? I have, uh, I've had people volunteer to make surveys in the past for me. And never quite follow through. And I've never put it high enough on my priority list to tackle it myself. But what I always do, uh, especially as contracts are coming to a close, whether they renew or not, is I always talk to my players. That's uh, something I started at the very, very beginning and try to keep going these days as well, is, is just checking in. Because even if people say, hey, things are going great, I think that ritual of checking in is incredibly important. Because... It lets people know that you value their advice, that they're heard, that they're listened to. Uh, you know, like it doesn't matter how big I get, I'm I'm still going to keep asking people those questions personally. Uh, I think a survey is important, and I I want to get to that. But I also think that 
uh, talking to people one-on-one, like communicating face-to-face, um, or even if it's not face-to-face, at least just on a, a small group basis is really important uh, because it makes people feel really, really valued, even if all they're saying is, that was awesome, do more. Right, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So coming off of that, I actually have a question for you, or more more of something I've noticed, because sure. uh, I have not been able to participate in Dungeons and Do-Gooders because it just hasn't worked for my schedule. Mm. Um, but I, I am part of the Facebook group, and in the early days, I think especially before you had the Discord, you you saw a lot of people talking about their thing, their characters, writing journals, posting memes, like you said, and I think that like part of that I can see comes from your like asking your players for feedback and stuff like that because like I can tell by how comfortable they are posting on there that they were getting that treatment they were made comfortable to do that and mm-hmm. once you kind of build that into a community you know it gets to the point where like the players just know they yeah um I actually also wanted to ask you speaking of community um what are some important like community management things you've learned or experienced over the last <laughs> couple of years uh, yeah, that's been like another 50% of my job. Um, I was talking to, to Jesse on the way over saying that when I started this, one of my goals was to not just introduce more people to D&D, but to, to really make a community uh, and foster like a diverse and inclusive and welcoming community. And keeping all of those values intact as the community grows is legitimate work. Uh, I, I like to think that because the community has grown in the way it has, in a very organic sort of uh, grassroots way, the people that come in are the people that have those values. Not in all cases, but in most cases. So I, I think as far as community management goes, the foundations of the community are incredibly important. Because if you start off with those values, whether they're you know taught, to the community or the community comes in with those values already, then the community will sort of police itself. I am consistently surprised that I don't have uh, more issues. You know, like in the past year and a half, I've had to field less than five emails from people being upset about uh, the way another player was behaving. Um, And in the like 10, 20, uh, 15, yeah, 15 years before that of uh, non-paid DMing that I did, oh my god, uh, it was probably ten times the number of complaints. For some reason, it seems like... Um, I, I mean, and I don't think it's because people are hiding their complaints. I, I think it's legitimately just that, like, as the community has grown, I've kept an emphasis on those values. And so the people that have come in, they don't brook bullshit. Like, they don't let people get away with toxic behavior. It's called out, it's stopped in its tracks, and it just it doesn't continue. Um, I personally still check in with people, uh, not just on a professional, like how did, you know, what did you think about the game level, but, but also in a, how are you doing? Like, I'm sorry that that happened. Is there anything I can do to help? Uh, would you like me to speak to that person or would you like to speak to that person? Uh, I, I think it's important to, um, really just give people as much attention as is feasible. And if you can't do it yourself to make sure that you have people in the community who are helping you with that task. Uh, because if you do that, and if you foster that kind of environment, exactly like you were saying, Jesse, you get to a point where people become comfortable with it and start doing, start doing it themselves without needing to be asked. That's so interesting because I feel like one might assume that when someone pays for a game and an experience, they, that some, some may carry with them a bit of a kind of a sense of entitlement. And uh, that that may create, like, you would almost think it would go the other way around, right? Like, when it was free, everybody's here and nobody has to be. But now that I'm paying for this, I feel like my voice should be heard over X, Y. Does that make sense? Like, I I would almost think it would go the other direction. I I get it. I definitely get where you're coming from. That's honestly what I expected. Uh, And I've thought a lot about that since I started everything up. And I think that there's a few reasons for it. First off, I think part of it is that, you know, everybody's paying to be there. Right? Nobody's paying more than anybody else unless, you know, within the group, they've made that decision. I know that a handful of groups that I have, uh, one person will pay a little bit more just because, you know, they make more and they don't mind paying for their friends to have a bit more fun. But um, everybody's paying to be there. And so nobody gets to bring that sense of entitlement because if they did, everybody would have it, right? And as long as you run a <laughs> right. session zero in advance and, and talk to people on a regular basis as well and check in... What happens is that um, if everybody is feeling that sense of entitlement, then probably you're doing something wrong. 
you know, like if, if everybody wants a different campaign than what you're running, that's your fault. Um, <laughs> you know, unless like in some weird, remarkable way, all of them came to the exact same uh, opinion about wanting a different campaign and you somehow weren't included in that, uh, then it's, it's most likely because you were told one thing and you insisted on running another. Uh, that has been a difficult thing for me to uh, to come to terms with, and I struggled with it a little bit when I first started out, but I've gotten much better at it. Um, I run D&D that people want, and I, I still get the chance to like make the art that I want to make, but it, it does sometimes feel like you know I'm running the type of game that my players want, uh, rather than necessarily always the type of game that I want. And that's okay. You know, like it's it it has forced me to come to terms with a lot of other different types of stories, and in doing so, I've really fallen in love with a lot of other types of stories uh, that I I might not have experienced otherwise because I would have been comfortable with the stories I was used to telling. Um, oh geez, what was I? Okay, so the first point was uh, entitlement, right? Um, so vis-a-vis -vis entitlement, uh, the first point being that everybody's paying. The second point is that. A lot of the players that I get are people who have not necessarily played D&D before. Uh, they know somebody who has, or maybe they played like once back in college, or maybe like their older brother or, or one of their parents did, or, or something like that, right? Like they, they are aware of D&D's existence in some form or another, but they don't have um, like the decades of built-up expectations that a regular player might um, a lot of those regular players, they're still just playing with their own groups, and I am perfectly okay with that, because at the end of the day, my goal is just to bring D&D <laughs> to more people. So if that means that I'm playing with a bunch of people who have never played before, that's totally cool. If it means that occasionally I get a group of veterans who just, like, really want a regular game, and they don't want their DM to have to keep DMing, and their DM wants to play, cool. But in almost all those cases, what that means is that it's a community that either already exists or that is formed around a particular goal. And that keeps a lot of entitlement at bay. Something that I'm curious about um, is, as a DM, if I'm running for a group of friends and things peter out and I don't play for a couple of months, that's fine. I'm just, I'm DMing for friends. But when you're running a business and you have a group that's paid you and you do a, a one-shot or a campaign or whatever it is, and then, you know, they don't engage with your services again because you're running a business and you've now got employees has there been i'm guessing how consistent is it is it something that you've had to like worry about like uh oh we're going into a dry spell or is it like a fairly consistent thing of people wanting games it's pretty consistent growth um i expect that i haven't really plateaued at this point yet i'm i'm certain from an economic perspective that it'll happen eventually because there is a limited supply but when that hits uh that's when i'll probably look online right and, and expand my growth in that direction uh that being said out of the six private campaigns that i've picked up only one of them hasn't re-upped their contract so all five of my other existent uh, long-term campaigns have re-upped at least once, if not, you know, two or three times. Uh, one of the things I think that's really important to that end is recognizing that, you know, committing even a day every other week is a lot to expect from people, right? I see so many DMs. Like, this is... The, this right here is just a DM faux pas in general, not, not to do with paid DMing. So many DMs being like, guys, I want to run a campaign. Uh, uh, it's it's going to be a cool campaign. It's going to be like this and this and this and this. And there's never once in that cool introduction to the campaign, a discussion about how long that campaign is going to take. Mm, oh my okay. God. <laughs> Campaigns <laughs> need to have finite endings, whether it's like a set number of sessions or like a set objective that the players can actually reach and isn't just forever out of grasp, it is so important to have finite endings for things. In my contracts, I run um, six session minimum buy-ins, but generally speaking, with only a couple of exceptions, um, when people buy in, they buy in for you know that six or so session campaign. Uh, and then at the end of those six sessions, we talk and we figure out, okay, does, do people want to keep going with this? You know, are, are we done here? Um, do you want more story? What, you know, do you want a different story? I get, I get, I get an opportunity personally to run like an extra session zero and check in, uh, at a, a bit more significant of a level than just after each session is done. Um, having that, that finite ending 
is really significant. Uh, and it allows me to sort of predict when those dry spells, if I get them, might be coming. And there have been a couple of, like, sort of mini ones where uh, I was really busy with drop-ins or, you know, in some other capacity in my life and just didn't advertise as much or didn't, like, reach out and follow through with people asking for contracts. But uh, since starting to go a little bit, I guess, like, to go a little bit hard on it, I haven't reached a point where uh, I've lacked for contracts. I, in fact, I've been, um, like, turning some down uh, if people are only interested in as a DM because I just, I don't have the time. I would love to DM, you know, seven days a week, but eventually I'd reach a point where I just couldn't do it. So I, I'm trying to encourage um, prospective clientele to play in games run by my other DMs. Uh, but it's, you know, D&D is a very personal business. If you run the game for people, they're more inclined to want you back as a DM rather than to be like, oh, you DM'd for me. I guess, you know, your your friend can DM for me. So that's, um, I, I guess that's about the only issue as far as like potential dry spells. So it sounds like there's um, a thing around trying to have like a badge of approval, like the Nintendo seal of approval for these, <laughs> for these DMs that, work yeah. for you so that people know yeah. if, if you DM and then you say like, hey, I'm too busy, but I've got DM A or DM B, mm-hmm. I think you would also really like them. They know that like, oh, it's it's one of your employees. Yeah, sure. We'll, we'll go for it. Absolutely. Uh, one of the things that I, I keep meaning to do is get a website up. I still haven't done it. I would... You know, like I, I really ought to at this point, um, and people keep telling me that I really ought to. Uh, but on that website, um, one of the things that I've I've had in my mind from the get go since I started bringing other people on is the idea of being able to list my DMs sort of by their preferred specialization. Because some DMs really like to run dungeons, some really like to run intrigue, some really like to run uh, all sorts of traps and puzzles. Some mm. get off on incredibly difficult battles. Some like hex crawls, right? Like everybody's got their style. And if I could connect DMs with players who wanted those same styles, then everybody would be a lot happier, right? Sure, it might lead to a little bit of a case of what I was talking about earlier, where like you kind of only DM your thing. But if people are only looking for like one or two private contracts, you know, my, my DMs that is, rather than making it their full-time job, then that's okay because it's less likely to lead to them burning out if they get to do the thing that they love and know that the players that they're DMing for also love it. See, if we were sponsored by Squarespace, this would be the perfect spot. That <laughs> <Yeah>, would. <laughs> hey, Squarespace, get on us. <laughs> yeah, no, people, like I, I listen to so many podcasts and every time I hear a Squarespace ad, I'm like, ugh. Yeah, I know. It's, it's easy. It's yeah, they're Squarespace. Calling you out, okay. Man. Yeah, you have your twenty four seven customers. I feel like I'm a Squarespace shill at this point. We're not. We're not getting paid for this. I should. Uh, I should stop talking about them. <laughs> so you a little bit answered so, it when you were answering the question oh, about uh, lack of ahead, dry Remy, spells, please. but I wanted to ask you, uh, what is it that you attribute? What I would. I'm going to go ahead and call that success to a certain degree. What is it that you attribute your success in not plateauing to? Is it your um, interpersonal connectivity that you've been describing so far as far as checking in with your people? Or is there something else that you feel keeps more and more people coming back? I think that there's really, like, there's a lot um, going on there. I think part of it uh, is is quite honestly, and like this is a difficult thing to say because I know that not everybody has the privilege of running D&D in larger cities or in like larger communities in general face to face. I think part of it is just that there is a, like these days a desperate need for people to to meet more face to face, more in person and engage with smaller communities, you know, their their friends directly like in this world that is increasingly digitized um physical spaces and communities where people can get together are also you know, in like direct parallel, increasingly important. So I have said before to my players uh, and to, you know, people while I'm just spitballing about the business that I think at least 25% of what keeps people coming back is the fact that every week or every other week or however often they play, they're there with their friends. Uh, I I know for my drop-in games, especially that is a large part of the appeal is just you get to play with your friends uh, and, like, unlike traditional D&D, where you can only play with up to five of your friends at a time, uh, D&DG is a lot more uh, open than that, right? Like, even if you can't 
necessarily play with more than five of your friends. You can all still be in the same room playing D&D at the same time. Uh, and you can experience content part of the same world at the same time. Uh, and, you know, tell stories about what your character did and know that those stories will then be shared and spread throughout. So I, I think community uh, is is like one of the major pillars that I haven't talked about thus far yet that keeps people coming back. Yeah, because people are making friends at your games oh, too. Oh, right? yeah, like I had people move in together as a result of, uh, you know, the, the games that I run. I've had relationships end and relationships begin as a result of the community. And like... It feels really weird, <laughs> but it's also really cool. I, I'm quite happy to have like people make those significant connections. That's amazing. Um, yes. So I had, I think, one last question before our traditional uh, final question for sure, you. Sure, yeah. Um, just earlier, Sean mentioned kind of like a, a Nintendo seal of approval kind of yeah. thing for your DMs. Mm. Um, what goes into you choosing DMs that you kind of give your seal of approval? I, whenever I bring on a new DM... Uh, have the same interview process. I did not for my first two. Yeah, for, no, first three. My first three DMs didn't have to go through this because, God, I, I just needed DMs and I didn't have the time. Um, but every DM that I've brought on since then basically runs a game for me um, and runs a game ideally for me and the other DMs on the team. Uh, and if not for the other DMs on the team, then for people who have been in the community for a really long time and understand the community. And as part of doing that, I get to find out not only what their strengths are as a DM, but what they're like as a person. You know, sitting down for four hours with somebody, you can't help but get a sense of, of who they are uh, interpersonally as well as what their strengths are uh, in terms of storytelling. So that is a large part of it. Um, generally speaking, most of my DMs, in fact, uh, pretty much all of them, have been either recommended to me or were part of the community and asked me if they could DM. Uh, I've got more DM applicants than I have spaces to fill at this point. And that means that I have to start treating it a little bit more like a business and interviewing multiple people, which is, you know, it's, it's a bit bittersweet. It, there's, there's a certain degree of joy in being a smaller startup and just getting to go, oh, okay, like, I like you, come, come work with me. Um, now I have to kind of Damn, I was totally like, going to okay. ask if you were hiring. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, um, like a large part that's, of it is basically um, get to know the person, um, have them run a game, ideally have multiple connections to them, like like more than one degree of Kevin Bacon, um, so <laughs> that I can I can tell what this like, who who this person is, you know, like if if their friends would recommend them. I I strongly believe that uh, as people we are who we surround ourselves with to a large extent. So if the DM is surrounded with people who would not be good for the community, then that's the network that they're going to bring into my community. And I don't want that. Uh, so, you know, if if a DM is conversely, got a good network of people that they're surrounded with, and they're going to bring that network into my community, well, then that's a net positive for everybody. So basically, yeah, just, you know, <laughs> not, not only being a good DM, but being a good person and a, a good member of the community is a necessity for that Nintendo seal of approval. <laughs> so do you have any uh, any final questions, Remy? Well, I mean, the one I was going to ask is, are you hiring? So that's a big swing and a miss on that one. Um, honestly, <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, I guess I'll, I'll be a little bit corny and just say, if you, if you could drop one pearl of wisdom for someone like myself who wants to become a professional DM, uh, I mean just one piece of advice, what would you, what would you say? It would be start with the community. At the end of the day, it would be start with the community. Um, if you have the community, whether it's in person, online, whatever form it takes from that community, you can far more easily make it a job. Uh, I think one thing that's important to do is to make sure that you don't expect your friends to pay you for D and D. Uh, I, ah. I know that, especially with a lot of, like, MLMs and pyramid scheme style things, people are like, oh, you know, if, if they don't support you, then they're right. uh, they're not good. They're not true friends anyways. Uh, that's, that's bullshit. Um, you shouldn't expect your friends to pay. But if you get to a point where your friends are willing to and offering to, right? Like, if you're running so many games that they're like, I want you to run more. I will pay you to run more because I want to play more. Then you're in good shape. 
Uh, but but yeah, start with the community because the community is is really like the heart of whatever it is you're going to do. And you you cannot have a business and you cannot do something like run paid D and D without having a core group of people that are willing to engage with you on that. I love it. Thank you. So uh, Craig, our our traditional last question, mm-hmm. uh, which is I, I feel is was very similar to Remy's, really. <laughs> so you can answer the same if you want. But uh, if you could give yourself one piece of advice about doing this that you would have liked to have had before you started, what would that be? Oh man, uh, it, it's not like it's it's the it's the advice that I would have uh, give given other people, right? The start with the community thing, but to myself uh, especially, it would be to. Um, to accept that art has value uh, and that if people are willing to pay you for something, then you should accept that payment. Uh, Fuck I yeah! I have... <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, no, like I see it all the time in online communities, like people getting stiffed for art and that sort of crap. Um, but it's also like, as a result of that environment, it's really damn tough to to be an artist and to go like, yeah, my my stuff has value. And to actually charge the value of your art. You know, like, I bumped up my prices in the new year. uh, And I had people be like, you know, I thought about it for a minute. And then I realized, no, like, for for four hours of entertainment, like, 25 bucks is nothing. Uh, Because, you know, effectively my prices, um, it it, it balances out to around, depending on the group size, $25 a person for, for, for a campaign session. And that sounds like I'm so glad you offered that because it felt rude to ask. I don't know why, but it felt really <laughs> <laughs> No, yeah, no, like, Jesse asked me if finances were an okay topic on the way over, and I, like, transparency is fine. Like, I, I think, actually, when I was getting into to D&D, that this might be a small addendum to what you asked me, Jesse, uh, in terms of, like, what would I tell myself? Uh, and, you know, also to you, Remy, uh, what nugget of wisdom would I give? Because there was no existing framework. You know, like, a lot of artists have at least uh, other artists of their category to draw from when they're looking for pricing and when they're looking for um, what people are charging and like the services people are offering, there are like, (laughs) like a dozen paid, like there are so few paid DMS and the vast majority of them are online. Uh, So I am, I'm happy to discuss pricing. I I think that um, it is obviously a sliding scale, but uh, when I, when I bumped up my prices in the new year, I didn't have any complaints. Uh, and I, I just wish that I could go back to myself and tell myself last year or, you know, two years ago that it's okay to charge money and you shouldn't feel guilty about it because you still need to literally eat and pay for the roof over your head. And if you can't do that, then you can't sustain the business. So that uh, that's my advice to me two years ago and uh, two years too late. But uh, hey, I figured it out. It took me a while, but I figured it out. <laughs> Yeah, like I think with your pricing too, twenty five dollars at least in in Vancouver, that's two movie tickets. Yeah, which is about four hours of entertainment. Like yeah. that's uh, that's that's yeah. what I like to gauge my entertainment against a lot of the time. No, you're not the only person. Like pretty much everybody <laughs> is like, ah, oh, yeah, like that's the price of like um, two movies, you know, and it, like. <laughs> it, what a lot of people say is like, you can't come back to a movie later and build off of what the first movie, like unless it's a series, right? Like Avengers or whatever, but you don't get to decide where the adventure or where the avengers go in the next avengers movie it's it's predetermined but in D you do so yeah <laughs> all right um craig thank you so much for coming in remy thank you so much for calling in and joining us um oh, it's my there, pleasure. Thank you. yeah uh let's start with you remy where can people find you and your shows online <laughs> Okay, so uh, my two podcasts are available on, I'm pretty sure, every podcatcher that is uh, well-known. So you can find Magnificent Whiskers and Remy Trails wherever you listen to your podcasts. I'm all over social media using Remy X Zero, where the O is the number zero, because I think I'm clever, but apparently just like to be difficult to find. Um, and Craig, is there anything else you want to promote? I, I mean, this whole episode has sort of been promoted. Yeah, 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 I hear you. Uh, it's also kind of been like, uh, try and find me. I don't exist online, the, well, the uh, podcast. How about um, this? Because you've got, you've got the Facebook group. I do, yeah. Do I also wanna, have an email. Yeah. Do you want to shout out some of your DMs? Oh, absolutely. I, I mean, like, none of them really have podcasts or anything else of the sort uh, that I'm aware of. I mean, they, they might be running them on the side completely invisibly. Uh, if so, like, <laughs> please hit me up. I'll promote your, your stuff. But, um, yeah, no, uh, I could not have gotten to where I am without 
like a long list of names. Um, I, I definitely want to shout out uh, Franz Nagy, Jason Romain, Richard Chapman, uh, Noah Petridas. I just realized, no, I haven't like ever said your last name out loud before. So <laughs> I, I think I'm saying that right. Uh, and Matt Gilmore. And uh, also, most recently, my, my newest downtime employee, Nick Taylor, who has, in fact, been on this podcast before. Oh, Shout so out to Jason, Nick. actually. Yeah, so, so has yeah. Jason multiple times. <laughs> uh, and Ray is going to come do a couple of things for me as well. Oh, is he? Yeah. Nice. Yeah, absolutely. No, I'm just going to slowly employ all the DMs in Vancouver. It's my, my goal. <laughs> but, um, and then, you know, reach out online and form a international Yeah, when you're looking to expand into the U.S., man. Union and, yeah, yeah, I'll get, I'll get there. I'll get there. <laughs> um, yeah, no, if people need to find me online... Uh, if you're not in Vancouver, uh, well, I mean, if you pay me, I'll, I'll probably DM online. But um, <laughs> if you're if you're not in Vancouver, uh, <laughs> the best way to get a hold of me is via Dungeons and Do-Gooders, the ampersand, not the word and, on Facebook, uh, or at the DM, no spaces, just T H E D M at d n d g dot c a. And those are pretty much the only two spaces you can find me online. <laughs> I'm I'm sure sooner or later I'll have social media, but it's not going to be me running it. I, I can tell you that right now. <laughs> I got well, you. Thank you so much to the both of you for coming on. This has been uh, very informative. Yeah. Give me some stuff to think about. <laughs> yeah, it's nice to like, because I get these conversations with you every once in a while, but yep. it's nice to, to put it where some other people can make use of it. Yeah, absolutely. So thanks again, both of you, for coming on and have a great day. And thanks for listening. Bye. 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 Thank you for listening to DMs of Vancouver. We acknowledge that the land we live, work, and play on is the unceded territory of the Coast Salish peoples, including the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh nations. In recognition of that fact, we ask that you please support Raven, a charity that helps support Indigenous people throughout Canada. You can find them at raventrust.com. We are a part of the Cave Goblin Network. To check out other shows on the network, please visit cavegoblins.com. You can support the show and the network by becoming a patron at patreon.com cavegoblins. You can also support the show by leaving us a review on iTunes or talking about the show. You can find us on Twitter at DMs of Vancouver, at Jesse Boros, and at Sean P. Hagen. Our art is done by the wonderful Haley Boros. See more of her work at haleyboros.com. Our theme music is Overworld by Kevin McLeod. Find his work at acompetech.com. Everyone is Jonas is a live-streamed, competitive role-playing podcast hosted by me, Doug Vandalay. Me, Eric Ivanovich. And me, Talia Murdoch. On twitch.tv forward slash cavegoblins every Monday at 7.30pm PST. Hey there, lovely listeners. I'm Talia Murdoch, and I'm here to tell you about my show, Everything Economics. Every week, I talk about the world around you, specific social and economic issues, and dive into how fantasy realms would work in real life. That's everything economics on the Cave Goblin Network. This is a Cave Goblin podcast. For other podcasts like this, visit cavegoblins.com. We hope you have enjoyed this program.